Thank you, Justin. It's good to have Justin with us. I knew that Justin had a connection to the church that I grew up in, Bethany Bible Church in Phoenix, Arizona, where I grew up. But what I didn't know is what he just shared, which fits perfectly with the theme of today, that my father, who was John Mitchell, pastor of Bethany Bible Church for like 30-something years, dedicated Justin when he was a little baby on this dedication <laughs> Sunday. And uh, I... And I didn't know this, but I, I know his mother. She was a little bit younger than me growing up in the youth ministries of Bethany Bible Church. But I really know his grandparents, uh, Larry and Sue Wright. Uh, I knew Larry Wright by Lucky Lawrence as I'd drive to Phoenix Christian High School listening to KRUX and all that awful, evil rock and roll music. And Lucky Lawrence would be the disc jockey who was uh, spinning the 45s. Remember the 45s? And, uh, and, uh, and then... Uh, Larry and Sue. Sue contacted my dad, and, and I don't know all the details, but somehow then introduced Larry Wright to the person of Jesus Christ. And he surrendered his life, and it took him away from alcohol and a lot of destructive things that were damaging their marriage. And they had a tremendous transformation. And then Larry and Sue went on to have a wonderful Bible teaching ministry that uh, one of the sons, sons-in-law is now carrying on as well. And so it's just a beautiful story, again, a reminder, even this Sunday, flashes me back all the way back to many, many years ago. I can't, I can't believe that, that Larry Wright has a grandson that, that age. How old am I that he would, you know, so you have those kind of those moments in life. But uh, the, the story continues. We continue to pass it on. Think about the school that we have here, the uh, preschool, the elementary kids that they come up. Matthew Slater. Matthew was one of our preschoolers, wasn't he? And Eleanor Armstrong had her hands full helping little Matthew grow up well. And so we have these folks that have grown up and continue on in ministry. And what a blessing to see that is, even as Matthew says, I am the son of Jackie and Annie Slater. The traditions and the legacy that we continue to pass on. And that as a church, what a blessing to see multiple generations growing up right in the midst of our campus and our community that surrounds us. But it continues on. Our high school students are in the midst of being generous and giving a legacy. I want to show you some video of some of our high school students that every Sunday they put together peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. It's P, G, and J. P, G, and J. As they go and they put together these peanut butter sandwiches on Sunday, they take them down to the Civic Center, to the homeless populations that's down there. And this is all student-led. This isn't some pastor that sort of told them, this is an assignment for you to carry out. They carry it out because they desire to have a ministry and they write scriptures, they put notes in there. Uh, you'll see them praying with some of the homeless people that are down there. These are people that are just as important to God as we are. And we want to continue to have impact upon them and to be able to pass out the good word and build relationships with them. And I see them on a regular basis. They even dance together and uh, that's why I didn't join in. I couldn't do that. But... Uh, praying together, and just supporting them, letting them know as a prayer group and as a ministry of Calvary Church that we do care for you. And we want this legacy to continue. I've always said here at Calvary, we're going to be an older church. We grow older naturally, but it takes a lot of work to grow younger. 
And this morning we want to have this message and ministry of legacy. This is our last Sunday on the generosity topic. I have an outline that I have personally prepared just for you, just for today. And this will allow you to continue the journey of studying God's Word together in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I should say. Let me read the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As we look at these, uh, the picture and the images of what God is doing in the church in Corinth that He wants to do in our church and our lives as well. A little background on this, 2 Corinthians 8. It was about 40, 45 A.D. that a tremendous famine took place in the area of Israel and the surrounding areas uh, that were impacted by that. And so the churches surrounding that area of Macedonia, the area of Corinth and Greece, they were taking up offerings to be able to help the Judean believers that needed food and money because of the famine that had overtaken them. And when a Jewish person became a convert to Christ, they sort of lose that welfare system of the Judaistic practices. And so the Christian believers who were Jewish in their upbringing, they didn't have a support system, and so they needed the churches surrounding them to be able to take up offerings and then bring that to support them as well. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where in verse 1 it says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that's an area right above where Greece is, that in a great deal of affliction and their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed and the wealth of their liberality for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor or participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Then he continues on as we'll look at that. But that sets up the theme of this giving, is people coming together. I want our church to have a legacy of generosity. We spent four Sundays, this is the final Sunday on it, and one of the reasons why we should have a legacy of generosity is what Paul says here, is because of the grace of God in our lives. He begins by showing in verse 1, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. A lot of people struggle with generosity or financial things. And the last thing they want to come to church is hear a preacher boy like me talk about that with you. But I think it becomes easier when we see that this is not something we're asking people to do. It's something we're expecting the grace of God to do through us. When the grace of God was in the Macedonian church, they couldn't help but give. And when the grace of God is in us, there's two things that I noticed about this. When the grace of God is in our lives, working, performing, perfecting, it says that in verse... Two, that in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of the liberality. The grace of God in us carries us through afflictions and even poverty. The grace of God causes us to do those things that we might not naturally do in our own strength. I just think about just growing up in a pastor's home, Bethany Bible Church. As my dad pastored for 30-plus years, and before that he was at the church in the open door for five years with Dr. J. Vernon McGee, and that's where I was as an infant in the nursery there for the first five years of my life, and then went to Phoenix and the rest of my years in Phoenix at Bethany. And my parents never made a lot of money. I don't know what they made, but I know they didn't make a lot of money as pastors. And yet they were faithful in passing on priorities. I don't remember my parents ever sitting down and saying, Dave, here's how you should manage your finances. 
Here's how you balance a checkbook. I, I don't think that we ever had those conversations. But what I do remember is a modeling of truth. I remember walking into their bedroom one Sunday morning. Uh, I see he's getting ready for church, going to church, do the preaching and all that stuff. And I walked into their bedroom. I was in grade school at the time. And I saw a little desk that they had in their bedroom. And on that desk was a check. And that check was made out to Bethany Bible Church. And at the bottom, little notation part. Remember when we used to write checks? And at the little bottom part, they had the word offering. Now, it was the first time it hit me as a young little elementary kid that even pastors give offerings to the church. Because I was thinking, well, you know, it's all about, you know, the offerings are for the pastors. So I thought my dad was sort of exempt. I thought he didn't, he didn't have to do that. It's, it's for him. Why would he, you know, what's the point of giving and then giving back? But even in that little moment, there was a modeling that we go to offer, even if the income is low, out of that which God has given to us. It's the grace of God in us. One of the best ways my parents modeled to me healthy biblical stewardship is that they had prepared a living trust. And that when they died, my sister and I were able to take that living trust and say, here's what my parents want us to do. And it was a seamless transfer. I'm thankful that yesterday we had 90 of you that came to the Living Trust Seminar to help to understand the importance of passing on seamlessly well all that God has given to us. And we still encourage you to take a look at Christian Trustmaker as one of those options that will help you in that. His grace will carry us through affliction and pressure, and His grace inspires us to do our very best for the Lord. This is an amazing several verses. For I testify that according to their ability, the Macedonians, and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord begging us with much urging for the favor or participation of the support of the saints. They beg to give more. I've never had anybody come to me and says, please let me give more. You're holding me back. Paul did. Incredible. Where do you get to be a place like that? He goes on to say, and this, not as we'd expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. When you first give yourselves to the Lord, then the grace of God expands and begins to impact. This, this whole thing of begging to give more, there's only one church that I ever have heard about, and it was in the Phoenix area, and I'll keep it nameless. But I heard that the pastor told the congregation one Sunday that our offerings have been so good that we're not going to receive an offering today. <laughs> I was blown away by that. I don't know whether that's a good idea or not. But they had so much overflowing that of, according to their ability and beyond their ability that there was a giving of even more. Well, the Macedonians were begging with much urging for the favor of participants. We don't want to be left out of this. How does someone get there? They first give themselves to the Lord. So let me, let me illustrate this. Now, object lessons can sometimes come off good or poorly. But it's a way for you to remember the most important thing. If you don't remember anything else that I'm going to say this morning, I want you to remember that generosity comes out of the grace of God in our lives. And when that grace is thriving, 
Generosity is a natural result. And there's a lot of people come to church, oh, I'm so tired of people asking me for money. For example, I have below here a couple of items that will help you to remember the grace of God in our lives to give us capacity to do things that we never thought we could do otherwise. That's for all you Denver Bronco fans. I have a regularly aired balloon here. This is just natural human air that's inside this balloon. And for a lot of people, giving is sort of like this balloon. If I let it go, it just naturally wants to fall to the ground. So I've got to keep going like this if I want to keep it in the air. And for some people, giving is sort of like I've got to keep working hard to keep it up. They pass the plate, emergency needs fund, high school needs storm team, Girl Scouts in front of Albertsons, my neighbors, my friends, my grandchildren, and I'm just getting tired of trying to keep this thing up because you're wearing me out with all these demands upon my life to serve. Now they're asking me to lead a junior high small group, and that's like the end of the world for a lot of people. And so I'm just tired of trying to give and give and it just seems like I can never stop giving, and it's just tiresome to me. So I begin to have a bitter resentment that people are asking me for more. And when it's just human effort alone, when it's just what I try to do on my own strength, it is like trying to hold up a balloon with human air inside of it. Now contrast that with another balloon, but it's filled differently with a gas we call helium. A helium balloon just stays up all the time. I don't have to work on holding it up at all. If I didn't have this little weight, it'd go all the way up to the very top there and we'd have a fire alarm go off. We'd all have to evacuate. And I preach to myself. For a lot of people, like this helium balloon, it depends on what's inside you. If it's merely my own strength, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly working hard to be giving. But when inside of me is the person of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, when Jesus fills my life with his grace, freely giving to me what I don't deserve, he begins to change me and transform me. And then it's no big effort to give and hold up that which God wants from me, whether in generosity or service. And all he asks, you know, there's a, theme, there's a theme called let go, let God. No, don't let go. Just hold on and let God. If I let go, it goes away. All God asks for us is when he fills us is just simply to manage it for me. So if I just walk around this room, I don't have to work hard in holding that balloon up. I just have to watch where I'm going. I have to walk according to God's will. I have to watch my steps. But holding this up is simply being filled by the helium inside. And so when I walk with Jesus Christ, he fills my heart with his grace. And so conversations like we're having this morning, they're not hardships. They're not guilt-producing. They're not shame-based. They're simply living out the filling of the Spirit within me 
to do what I can't do in my own strength, but the Spirit of God makes it happen. Makes sense? What Jesus is telling us is that I want to fill you with my grace so that you are always filled up with ability that goes beyond human effort. And so when the Apostle Paul, going back to this text, says they gave according to their ability beyond their ability, they first gave to themselves. That's what caused them to beg to do more because when the Spirit of God fills me, He gives me capacity that goes beyond human effort alone. And if it's just all about what I have to do, yeah, I'm tired of holding it up. But when it's what the grace of God inside me is accomplishing... I just simply manage it. Stewardship of God is managing what God has given to us, and He does all the heavy lifting. So everything else depends upon knowing that. And when the grace of God fills us, then there's a legacy of generosity that reflects a, a truly spiritual life. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning this way, generosity is a spiritual issue. It is not a financial issue. Everybody in this room has a different amount of income. Some of you may be getting by on $1,200 from Social Security every month. Others of you may have 10 times that every month. It's not how much you make. It's how spiritually driven we are. As the Apostle Paul says in verse 7, but just as you abound in everything, you have everything, he says to the Corinthians. You have faith. You have utterance, or it means the word, speaking words of truth. You have knowledge. You have earnestness or zeal and desire. And in love we inspired in you. See that you abound in this gracious work as well. What Paul is saying is that I'm not saying that giving is some sort of a financial management seminar generosity is just part of the spiritual journey. It's part of what God has done in faith and utterance and knowledge and earnestness and love. Well, generosity is part of that. It's a spiritual life that I walk in, not a financial seminar to tips and techniques on how to give. It comes out of the spiritual journey. So legacy of generosity comes out of a spiritual journey, not a financial one. Secondly, the legacy of generosity reflects this, this willing act of love. It's not coerced. It's not forced. Nobody has to do that. We don't believe in that here. Notice what he says in verse 8. I'm not speaking this is a command, but as proving the earnestness of love, earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love also. Generosity is a willing act of love, not an act of coercion or forced Remember a few weeks ago, I shared with you the story where I made some of you uncomfortable initially, if you remember, where I said, I'm banning myself from my daughter's birthday parties. Remember that? I said, every time I go to their birthday party and every time I go to Christmas with them, I have to give them something. And I'm just tired of having to go to some of these places and just all they do is expect me to give them a present, give them a check, give them money, give them a card, give them something like that. I just decided I'm just not going to go anymore because every time I go to the birthday party, every time I go to the Christmas celebration, I have to give them something. And I'm tired of having to do that. That's, I'm sort of resenting the fact that every time I go, they expect that. And then after I made everybody reasonably uncomfortable, not sure whether I was kidding or not, I turn it and say, you know, some people look at the church that way. Every time I go to the church, they expect me to have to give them something. And I'm beginning to resent that. Well, you know what? 
I have not banned myself from their birthday celebrations nor their Christmas. Why? Because I love Jessica and Kirsty. I love to go to their birthday party, even as they were little ones growing up. I love for us to be together on Christmas. I love to be able to give to them things. They ask me, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? And I constantly tell them I just want two sweet and loving little girls. And then they moan and they groan. I don't need anything. When you love someone like your own children at a birthday celebration, you, right, love to give to them. You love it. When I come to church, I give to the church. Why? Because I love the church. I love the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. I'm speaking this not as a command. We don't command anybody to give here. But it's proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. The Apostle Paul says the legacy of generosity is an act of love. I give to those I love. I don't have to give to anyone. But when I love Jesus, I love his body. When I love his body, I give. And I love to be generous in giving. So you can see the Apostle Paul is building this case that a legacy of generosity that comes out of the spiritual journey of a love for Jesus Christ, and it's not a command, it's not a shame, it's not a guilt-inducing methodology. He says, if you love the Lord, you give. You give to the Macedonians, you give to the Corinthians, you give to the Judean Christians as well. And a legacy of generosity reflects my authentic spiritual life because it is Christ-led, not people-driven. It's Christ-led. He models it for me. Notice this wonderful verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul throws in that verse there in this column about the spiritual journey of legacy of generosity. And he says, look, I'm asking you simply to do what Jesus modeled for us. He led us in this journey. He led it. He became poor by leaving the luxury of heaven and the treasures of heaven, he, he left that impoverished himself to become a child of poor parents, Mary and Joseph. And then he impoverished himself on the cross by giving up his very life for us. And so Paul is saying, look, when I ask you to be generous, I'm not demanding anything, not commanding anything. I'm simply saying as Christ led us, so should we. Christ is the good shepherd. Shepherds lead sheep. Ranchers drive cattle. We don't drive cattle here. We simply say, here's Jesus. What did he do? He's leading me into that same life of generosity. That's what he invites us to. Great story I heard about that that helps me to kind of put it in my mind and my heart. Lee Strobel has written a book on Christmas Lee Strobel, way back, used to be the writer for the Chicago Tribune. In those days, many years ago, he was an atheist, had no faith whatsoever in a God that lived and died for him. And he was given an assignment to go interview a family by the name, their last name was Delgado. And Mrs. Delgado was perfecta. She was 60 years age, and she had two grandchildren. And these two grandchildren 
had to walk to school, and they were so impoverished that one had to borrow a coat from the other. And so they had one coat between these two girls, and the one would wear it halfway to school, the other would wear it the rest of the way to school. So Lee Strobel wrote an article about the Delgados and their impoverished plight. As a result of that, they got a lot of publicity about how bad things are for them, how poor they really are. And so he went back the day before Christmas just to see how is it going. And he was blown away by how much was given to them as a result of that article. They had food, they had clothing, they had cash gifts, they had promises of people to continue to help. And he walked into their living room and saw all these things that people had given them. He says, I was just amazed at how much people had given to this poor family. But he says, what was even more amazing than that is this. As I talked to this family, I realized the day before Christmas that they were telling me that this isn't the most important thing in our lives, these things. It's Jesus. Tomorrow is the best day. It's Christmas Day. And what he then discovered is that the Delgados were giving away everything that was given to them. And he says to Perfecto Delgado, he says, why are you, people gave that to you. He said, look, there's people all around us in our neighborhood who have greater needs than we do. And Jesus has called us to give these things to them. And that's what we're doing. And this atheist said to himself, they are more blessed in their poverty than I, as a wealthy news writer, am in my riches. Because they have Jesus. And she said, this is what Jesus has called us to do. And besides, tomorrow's Christmas, and that's the best day, Jesus' birthday. And it was this Christ-led working of his grace in the Dagato's lives that caused them to say, these are gifts to us, but really through us to give to others. Their hearts were generous to others because of what Jesus had done for them. No one told them they had to. No one guilted them into it. Nobody shamed them to have to do it. Nobody commanded it. It was in sincerity of love, Christ-led generosity. I thought, what would happen if all of God's children were so led as well? That in the generosity of a Christ-led faith, we give abundantly, realizing that all that I have is simply so that I can give to others and out of that which God has blessed me with. And then finally, a legacy of generosity finishes well. We pass it on. We finish well by developing. And here's the three, here's the trinity of good giving. The mind, the heart, and the deeds. Let me show you this wonderful verse in verse 11. But now finish doing this. He says, I want you to finish it, Corinthians. Please don't give up on your faith and generosity. So he says, finish doing it also so that just as there was a readiness to desire it, so there may also be a completion of it by your ability. Let me put the microscope on this one verse. I'm intrigued by this verse. Again, it's a small print at the top. Here's that same verse. So that just as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion of it by your ability. There's an insight in this verse that is essential to finishing well. Three words, readiness, desire, and ability. The word readiness is the Greek word protumos, pro meaning forward, thumos meaning mind, a forward-thinking mind. Readiness is as a forward-thinking mind. I'm always thinking ahead, so I am ready. So we need to have in our giving a ready mind, a mind that is looking ahead. Secondly, he uses the word desire. 
That means will, my will, my passion, even my emotions or my feelings. We need to have a heart that has a passion for where my funds will go. And then thirdly, he says, your ability. My ability are my deeds, those things I'm committed to in action. This is the this is the trinity of giving, that in my mind I've calculated where it should go and how much. In my heart I have a passion and a love and a desire. As I love my daughters, I love to give to them. And then in my ability, I do it. I don't just talk about it. Not good intentions, but good deeds. Now here's what happens sometimes if you don't have all three. Let me just break this down, a little microscopic look. First line... First bullet point, watch this. Readiness of mind with no desire of heart. In my mind, I know I should do it, but I've got no passion to do it. That breeds resentment. Resentment. He's making me do it because I think I should, but I really in my heart have no desire at all. You have resentful giving, and we don't want that here at Calvary. Secondly, second bullet, a desire of heart where I have a passion for a lot of good things, but no readiness of mind where I'm calculating and, and really researching and making sure that it is a viable and, and worthy cause, that breeds careless giving. Sort of a shotgun. Anything happens, I just wear it. I just throw, throw it out there. Hope it lands somewhere where somebody will do something good with it. Now, there are those moments and those last-minute, spur-of-the-moment. That's okay. But there needs to be a calculated readiness of mind that goes with the passion of the heart. If you don't have both of those, then I'm careless or I am resentful. And then thirdly, an ability of deeds where I have a deed-driven life where I'm doing good, always trying to do good, but my mind is not part of that calculating, my heart has no desire for it, that breeds legalism. I'm just doing it because I think I am gaining favor with God and people. God says, I don't need your money that way. I don't want legalistic giving. You're not going to gain my favor by what you give. I want you to give because your heart loves Jesus, because your mind has calculated the best way for that investment to be used, and then you act on that. Make sense? We want this holistic giving of mind, heart, Indeed. And if your mind is there but your heart's not there, keep it. If your heart's there but your mind's not calculating effectively and efficiently, keep it. If you're giving out of an ability because you're legalistically driven because you think it's the right thing to do, but you have no heart for Calvary, you have no heart for whatever the ministry may be, keep it. And when the grace of God fills your heart, when the grace of God gives you capacity to lift you up, and to realize how effortlessly you can do these things, when that grace is filling you up, God says, you just move around and I'll lead you. You calculate with your mind, you believe it in your heart, and then you act on that with your deed. And I tell you what, there's no better place to live than when you're filled by the grace of God to give you capacity that goes beyond human effort alone. That's the sweet spot we call Calvary into. And when you do that, you finish well. You finish well, verses 12 through 16, this is one verse. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their needs so that their abundance also may be a supply for your need. There may be equality. God says, I'll make it happen. I'll make it happen for you. And let me close with this. You know, legacy is sometimes we learn from our parents and our grandparents and they pass it down. 
Legacy is also sometimes we learn from our own children. Let me tell you something I learned from my daughter Jessica. And Jessica loves to teach me things. She, she does. And I appreciate learning from her because my brain is shrinking. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, Jessica stopped me after church out there in the lobby. She says, Dad, have you heard the story? I said, no, what story is that? She says, well, on Friday, that was used to be like two Sundays ago. So the Friday before two Sundays ago, Jessica comes up to me and after church and says, Dad, it was Friday, and I was having a quiet time with the Lord, praying. I said, oh, yeah, what were you praying about? So I was praying because I got this new, I got a bill for $1,000. And I'm saying, Lord, how am I going to pay this bill? She doesn't have any money. She works for a nonprofit. And when they say nonprofit, they mean nonprofit. <laughs> and so she didn't know how she was going to pay for that bill. Well, in the meanwhile, two days before that, or the Wednesday of that same week, we could still get some of her mail when she used to live with us many years ago. It was a mail in the envelope that came from Pepperdine University. Well, Jessica has two master's degrees from Pepperdine University. And so the last time that she was living with us was 2009. And that's when she graduated from Pepperdine with a master's degree. And so we had this thing sitting there. I thought, oh, it's probably some fundraiser or something for her. And it was like, you know, after 2009, they finally wait till their, their alumni get out there and get living, working, earning, and now they'll go and ask them for money seven years later. And so we didn't really give it to her. And Kirstie happened to come by, hey, would you take this and give it to Jessica when you get home? Okay, because they live next door to each other. So we gave it to Kirstie. And so Saturday, Kirstie finally gives... The Saturday after the Friday that she said had this quiet time, she gave Jessica this envelope. She looked at it. Oh, so she opened it up. And on the letter, it was written to Jessica Mitchell. And she says, we have audited your account from 2009. And the first thing they hear, oh, no, I owe them even more money now. And then as she read down, it says, we realize we overcharged you. And we now have to write you a check for $2,024. Friday, she says, Lord, I've got a $1,000 problem. Saturday, God says, I've got a $2,000 gift. As we were talking about that, Kirsty was standing right next to Jessica. And Kirsty said to Jessica, oh, Jessica, would you pray for my financial problems too? <laughs> and Jessica said, well, Kirsty, you can pray for your own. And Kirsty says, but your prayers work. <laughs> we want people to be blessed. It doesn't mean you're going to get the answer tomorrow. But when you have a heart that is seeking the Lord, when your heart is filled with the grace of God, and he simply says, let me lead you, and I will carry you along the way. I will make those things possible then you have a legacy of generosity. You're passing it on. Let me pray. Help us, Father, as we gather under the banner of your love that you are a generous God, as we have learned through this month, and that you make that generosity easy as you fill us with your grace, and that we carry out the desires of your heart, and that you don't put us here to struggle, but you put us here to bless Sometimes in the blessing there are painful times, but also, Lord, your grace fills us. May we be a grace-filled people that has a legacy of generosity where generations that follow us carry on 
in your behalf and ours. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.